Hey folks, it's Doug Thornell and welcome to another episode of The Electables. Uh, my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, is actually taking a little bit of a hiatus. Um, we're going to miss her and she will be back. Uh, but um, for now, you just got me and uh, my producer, Michael Peliquin, is on. Michael, how you doing? I am doing well today, Doug. I miss, I miss seeing you in the studio, though. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to get back to that. Um, yeah. And... Um, and we've got a, 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 one of our favorite guests who's been on the show uh, a few times before in the past, uh, my friend Jamal Simmons. Um, Jamal is a longtime Democratic uh, strategist, is now a, um, uh, one of the top uh, opinion leaders, um, and uh, has a great um, YouTube uh, series uh, where he interviews uh, a range of folks on what's going on in the news. I'll let him talk about that. Um, but Jamal, welcome back to the Electables. Um, you know, I hate to ask you this because I get asked it. Uh, I've been getting asked it, uh, you know, so many times a day. Um, but <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> I mean, hey, Doug. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> Hey, Doug, you know thanks for saying? having me. No, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like you appreciate the care, but also, right. you know, there's a, a double-edged uh, question. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a tough time, obviously. I think it's been, this week has been, to me, um, increasingly tough. Uh, obviously, we're all getting through this pandemic, which is, you know, causing all of us, you know, from far and close tragedy and, and heartache. And at the same time now, we have this... Um, you know, the tragedy of black men and um, women who have been killed and whether or not people are going to be held accountable for their deaths. And we've seen this over and over and over again, as long, frankly, as long as black people have been in America, we've seen this. Um, but now we've got it on videotape over and over again, and, and it just seems like it's all boiling over. Um, you know, my show is on Instagram, IDTV and Facebook, and it's called This Is FYI. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of people who really have, um, you know, uh, who are really grappling with this, including this week we had a conversation with um, Marilyn Mosby, who is the Baltimore um, state's attorney. She's the one who brought charges against the people, the cops who were uh, responsible for Freddie Gray's death in Baltimore uh, a few years ago. And that led to some violent out outbursts, um, you know, and she just says, like, there's some real systemic things and we can talk about that stuff later, but there's some real systemic changes we have to make if we want the criminal justice system to take black lives mattering seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think for, you know, I think for, uh, for me, I've, I've struggled with the, the video of, um, you know, of, of all these videos, to be honest, that we've seen over the last six years or so of young, uh, black men, not just young, but black men and women, um, being killed on, t you know, on TV, uh, because yeah. it, 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 you know, on one hand, I'm glad it's sort of being captured and there's some evidence to back up stuff that we've been saying for hundreds of years, right? That yeah. we're being murdered by government agents, basically. At the same time, you know, though, 
you know, it is like that, that constant reinforcement of showing, you know, showing us being killed um, has this emotional impact on me that is hard to, hard to describe, you know, I mean, and so, you know, and, and I, I have, you know, and that's something that I think is, you know, has created, you know, I think <laughs> it, it, tra trauma is maybe the, maybe it's the right word, but it is, you know, the, the, the portrayal of us being hunted and killed. Right. Um, particularly, um, you know, the, the video, the episode in Georgia, which was, you know, um, I mean, all of them are bad, it was a trapping. I mean, they trapped them like a, like a, like a cave. Right. You know, like a, yeah. Right. And, you know, what I was thinking about, and, and I was thinking about this, it was funny. Not, this was not funny. It was what was, what was, when I went out for a run a few days ago, hmm. my mom is now living with me after my dad passed yeah. away and we, she moved in and, you know, I, I, uh, she's, she's, uh, almost, she's 79 years old um seen a lot in her day and uh um seen um a lot of changes for the good and for the bad i told her i was going out for a run and it was uh it wasn't exactly dark but it was evening time and she didn't want me to go yeah you know and and um that really just broke my heart you know i mean i'm living in a neighborhood i've been in for four years i think it's okay but Maybe, you know, maybe it's not, you know, and, um, and that, but even, but even the fact that that, that would worry my mom. And I think one of the things that gets lost in this is the impact that this is, this is having, you know, most of these videos and most of these deaths tend to be, uh, murders of black men. And I think that the impact and that trauma that it's having on black mothers um, you know, doesn't always fully get the coverage it deserves. Um, and so many of them, as you know, um, you know, they, they're worrying about things that their white counterparts, that they're, you know, uh, you know, other folks in this country don't work, don't have to worry about in terms of, you know, the fact that their her 40 plus year old son is, you know, she's worried he's going to get, you know, killed running in this neighborhood he's been in for four years. Yeah. One of the things about the video that makes you wonder is seeing it has two effects. On one hand, it makes people more, um, more sensitive to it, right? Like, oh, wow, this is really happening. We can't deny it. No, it's real. On the other hand, there are probably people who are uh po not positively inclined toward black people who are like oh this is what we're doing now <laughs> you know like oh this is <laughs> like i'm not i'm not like i'm not alone like I, i've wanted to do this i didn't realize people were really doing this um and i think that that is something that 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 is very uh concerning you know there's another story that didn't get as much play um because people were going through all the big tragedy we've been going through but there was a story in north carolina of a teenage boy um Damien Whitaker, Damien was his first name, um, but he was a, a teenage African-American boy, 16, 17 years old. He's at home with his mom, doors, you know, gets banged on the door. It's a group of white guys armed. One of them is a, uh, a off-duty police officer. 
they are looking for um, one of the men's daughter, who's a white girl, um, and they uh, they've come to this black boy's house looking for the daughter and his, and perhaps his friend, um, who they've heard that the daughter is with this other boy, right? So they are looking for this white girl and her black probably boyfriend or black friend, and they've come to this house and the mother like stops him from coming in. But th this this really struck me because this is like. This is basically what, the story of how, how my family ended up in Detroit. Like my great grandfather in 1899 was at the house when a group of white men came to our house. It's, you know, his house when he was 16 years old looking for uh, someone else that they thought had, you know, committed a crime. And my, and his father like warded them off with a shotgun and the next morning put my great grandfather on like a wagon to, Macon and he joined the army and never went back to the state. He ended up in Detroit, like afterwards. Like this is this is the history of America, right? And like you, it, it's not that I'm surprised about the story, but it is deadening that here we are in 2020, uh, where people are having the same experience that people had 1900, right? 1899. Um, it's like right. it's still <laughs> right. Like th this is still a right. thing. We're armed white groups of armed white men show up at some black youth's house, you know, looking to take him out and, and do him harm. Right. Solely because he's black. Not, Solely you know, I mean, that's the, that, that is the, yeah, I, I you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, it, there's so many different feelings that I think a lot of folks are feeling, um, you know, particularly um, African-Americans of, you know, not, you know, it's a mixture of both outrage and anger, but also just like, you know, just a level of exhaustion, you know, yeah. to, to your point that you're, you know, you're hitting on. And, um, you know, I, I think I was watching Joe Biden's speech today um, and, uh, um, you know, he, he was able to, I think, um, you know, this was his, you know, this was a very important speech that the campaign delivered of, with him in Philadelphia. Um, uh, one of the, you know, um, first times he's, you know, been out in public. He's done a bunch of things, obviously, uh, virtually. Uh, and I thought he gave a very good speech. And I thought one thing that he captured pretty well is the exhaustion that um, so many of us feel um, yeah. that even on simple things like going out and running or a mom and her son sitting in the living room watching television, like there's a danger there. Yeah. Right. That there's a, there is a danger that exists just doing basic shit that everyone else does. Right. Bird watching. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, like the guy watching. in New York who's bird watching right. in Central Park. And some woman basically tries to unleash the NYPD on him um, just right. because he had the nerve to ask her to follow the posted rules of the place where right. they are, uh, where they are in the park. Right. Um, and, and yeah. you know, look, he is, you know, we're lucky that that guy wasn't killed. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm serious. Absolutely. I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't know exactly if the cops end, ended up showing up or what, obviously a lot of this was on, on, on video, but you know, I mean, who knows if yeah, I think they did come late. Have... They came yeah. late. They let both. They let everybody go. He probably showed them the video. They were like, "Wait, this is crazy." Um, yeah. Well, hopefully 
he, I mean, but that's an instance where he had an opportunity to actually show them a video. Who knows, maybe in the, you know, I mean, there are other, there will be other examples where it's all caught on video and cops are going to be like, don't, you know, like they're not going to care about watching a video. Right. Um, but it's just all of this and it's just sort of the, you know, it's the sort of the, the, the regular events that occur in people's lives, white or black, riding a bike, going to a store, sitting getting at home skittles. and watching teams, getting <laughs> skittles, you know, running, bird watching, walking your dog, you know, all of these things that everyone does, you know, there is a level of uh, danger that exists, a high level of danger that exists for African-Americans that doesn't exist for, ever, for anyone else. And you I know, think Maya Wiley, Maya Wiley, who you've probably been on with on MSNBC, who is just fantastic. You know, she used to be deputy mayor in New York. She's a lawyer, she's a professor. Um, and Maya was saying on television the other day when we were having the conversation around George Floyd that, that we go through these things when these, when these crimes or when these um, killings occur where we sort of um, turn these, uh, the people who've been killed, these victims, into angels, right? Like we see this, we see this necessity to try to like sort of mythologize their lives they're they're perfect they didn't do anything wrong you know here's a picture of trayvon martin when he's 12 or 13 years old even though now he's 17 or 18 you know like we do this thing where we sort of make try to make them like as good as possible right as if that's going to make it better so, but what if what if george floyd actually did pass off a 20 bill that was fake right like what if he did do the thing he was accused of like he still should not be dead, <laughs> right? And like the thing right. is, if, that, if anybody else does that, we you know we we all watch what happened in Michigan, where the armed guy showed up at the state capitol with you know semi-automatic weapons, long guns, uh, and yelling at police, pushing on police, trying to barge their way into the state capitol, and were treated with kid gloves as if they were porcelain china that we couldn't break. But here this guy is who perhaps had a, a pass off his $20 bill, and he's on the ground pinned down like an animal in the woods. And, and, that, and that's the thing that we all have to reckon with is it's not just I'm an innocent person going about my life. Maybe I did make a mistake, but, but speeding, passing, a, you know, passing off a $20 bill, shoplifting, selling loose cigarettes is not a death sentence handed down by the police in the street. Right. I think you're totally I think your point is right, which is we don't these these individuals, none of them are perfect. No human beings are perfect, but they don't they shouldn't have to be perfect. Right. They shouldn't have to be angels. They shouldn't have to be, you know, they're they're you know, they may be deeply flawed. They may have, um, you know, they may have, you know, sold cigarettes out of the back of a car. Right. But to your point, that doesn't justify any of this shit right like yeah it's a fine we shouldn't, maybe have, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have to be perfect to have our lives protected by the cops right i mean um, look we see this so these are the extreme examples right people are losing their lives but you know we've all worked in organizations uh even in progressive democratic politics right where a person of color makes a mistake does something wrong misses you know, misses a phone call from a reporter that, that matters. Like something happens that is uh, make a mistake, and the punishment that those people often seem to face is far outweighed than the mistakes that are made by their white peers. 
and we all see the white peers who are friends and who are good people and, who, you know, this isn't a, a negative on them, but they make mistakes, they do things wrong all the time, and it is sort of chalked up to the game. But we feel this sort of necessity to have to always get it right or at least have a really good reason why it went wrong if something wrong happens. You can't or, just have had a mistake. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Or it's you literally have to be, to get that key job in the administration or on the campaign as a top advisor, you literally have to have a resume that is, well, I mean, to be honest, like yours, right? Like there is no, the, 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 the reality is, is there is a much higher bar that well, black you gotta have is. Black, no. You've got to have a resume that's great, and then you also have to be able to pass the whisper test, right? Because we all know before you get a job, there's a bunch of phone calls made, checking out people. Hey, you know this guy, woman, what do you think? Is it good or is it bad? And very often, everybody has something they've done badly, right? Everybody had a bad work interaction, or everybody has somebody they had a conflict with. And very often, that conflict is what's used against someone. I, I, we know someone in common who has one of the best work histories of anybody in Democratic politics. And I remember having a conversation with someone um, in the White House, the last White House, about him, uh, about, you know, why he didn't have a job. And, and, and the reaction, the response to me was, well, his, he, he, he just expected too much. Like, he, you know, he was asking the job he wanted was like too much. He was an aide to one of the most senior people in the party. He had a very serious job. If he was white, there's no way he wouldn't have been on the list to have one of the top around. But because he sort of, you know, kind of had, he wanted to do something bigger than what they were looking for, that was considered to be a knock on him because he had this kind of uh, aspiration for a bigger job. And I just think right. you know, it's it just, and that, those are progressives. I mean, and they don't mean, I don't, here's the thing about this, and I've learned this growing, you know, growing up in politics and, and in life. I don't think these people mean anything badly. I just think that we're all infected with this disease of racism or anti-black, you know, prejudice or whatever it is. And and much like a disease, sometimes it flares up when we don't expect it and we don't necessarily recognize that it's happening. And I, and I only ask for my colleagues and even for people of color to recognize that it exists. And when people highlight that perhaps this is one of those moments, to have a moment of reflection and question yourself and your own assumptions and think, am I, am I behaving about, am I acting this way because I really believe this or do I have a preconceived notion that's influencing how I'm thinking about the situation? I think that's all we can really ask of people and then do right. something positively to correct the situation. If you find that, you know, if, if, if this keeps coming up, do something differently. Be proactive. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that the, you know, the, 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 you know, the calibration that we all have to do as black strategists, you know, it, it's a lot like how, you know, we've talked about this before, both on air and off, just like how candidates, African American candidates, um, you know, they're constantly calibrating, having to calibrate multi various things, um, in order not to be viewed as threatening. Right, particularly black males right. running for um, right. office, right. and and that is something that yeah, you know, to some degree, women have to do calibrate certain things as well. Um, they certainly do, um, 
And some of them are different. We recognize that we have different we have different biases that we're hedging against, but everybody's hedging against these biases. Yeah, right. Um, but there's constant, you know, and and I I find that you know I think I find that just in the business that we're in, you know, there is. Yeah. You know, oftentimes I'm, you know, I'll be one of the only black strategists on call on campaign calls, and there's a topic that comes up related to uh, race or, you know, um, you know, maybe a uh, like a, a outreach event that's going on or a script that needs to be done for uh, that's tailored towards African American voters or uh, Latino voters. And, you know, my, my, sometimes I am, I, I sort of stay silent for in the beginning just to see sure. if they're, <laughs> you know, to, to hear the other people and see and wait to see if someone says, so Doug, what do you think? Right? Like, I obviously have my, my views and I will express them, but I also don't necessarily in the middle of campaigns, the onus to communicate to black voters, to brown voters. Um, shouldn't only be on those black strategists or black staffers on the campaign or in the office, right? That's right. That that they should not have to bear that entire burden to under, to have the strategy to be the to be the person. There's certainly you know. Well, well here's uh, it's important about. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and let you know as long you know my qualify that is as long as their opinion and and views are considered when you're talking about pers- trying to you know the persuasion campaign for white swing voters Absolutely. right like that to me is the 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 balancing act that we're still struggling with i think in many campaigns that i've been on and am on now well here and here's the here's the addition to that right which is you know if if you got a labor, if you've got a, if you got a particular issue, if you're a big enough campaign, and you've got an issue with the labor community, you'll hire somebody who's good at labor to focus on the labor community, right? If you've got questions about what's happening in African American, Latino communities, you know, you should hire somebody who specializes in African American, Latino communities, and you should have, you should rely upon their advice. I mean, what, the, the part that gets frustrating is when you hire me because frankly my most of my experience in national politics for a long time was i worked for people who had been in international so if you hire me or they were like you know on the armed services committee or whatever um you hire me to do my general communications job yeah help you navigate like the basics of almost any community i'm relatively smart if i read enough and help people i can kind of figure out at least the first level but if you kind of do deep dive issue management on African American communities, you should hire somebody who focuses on African American communities. Don't just assume that because I'm black, I can help you navigate this. I'm right. from Michigan, but I can't help you navigate the UAW internal politics like I deeply. Right. <laughs> you know, and nor would you expect it. That's exactly right. <laughs> so that's the part that's where exactly it gets right. like a little frustrating. And what happens is people try to get you to do a two job. Right, You're sort of a twofer. <laughs> Remember that guy yeah. in, uh, on um, uh, Thirty Rock? They called him yeah. Twofer, uh, <laughs> black guy. Yeah, yeah. But they they kind of assumed like a, <laughs> you do both. I, I can't remember if it was a, a meet. This was ten ten years ago. I was sitting in a room, and I can't remember if it was like what job it was. But we were going around the room, and we were talking about you know sort of our overall you know our communication strategy. A lot of it had to do with outreach to groups. 
And um, uh, someone looked, you know, we, we got to the CDC and someone looked at me and said, okay, Doug, what are we going to do about the CDC? <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I think I, I, for, I forget what job I had, but, you know, I think it was, um, you know, it, it was the, it was a, it was not a, it was a job that was, uh, managing the overall communications portfolio for for an organization, not just specifically right. tailored to to your point, African Americans, where those jobs obviously right. exist. But that was because I was the only black person in the room. They just assumed, and I do have a lot of knowledge of this, but it like it. They just assumed that was my expertise when, in fact, I was in there for other reasons. And well, let me tell you another that story. That is a there's a flip story to that, right? Which is, uh, I'm working on a campaign, a statewide campaign for a candidate. And I get, um, you know, we're trying to do outreach to African American women in this state. Um, I get a radio ad that comes to me and I listen to it and something about it just doesn't seem right to me, right? They want me, they want to put this ad up. And so I call back to our consultants who are in Washington, white guy. And I say, hey, that ad that's targeted, um, who wrote that ad? They're like, oh, uh, I did. Like, okay. Um, and did, uh, did anybody, like, did anybody look at, has this been tested at all? Has any, and, you know, any African-American women listen to this? Like, no, I just, you know, I, I, I looked at the poll and I figured, you know, I saw what we did and I wrote up an ad and, you know, we cut it and, uh, you know, they sent it to you. Like, so wait a minute. So, I said, well, you know, something about it doesn't seem right. So I played it for, we had three African-American women who worked in our office, and I kind of did like a mini focus group. And I played it for them. They didn't like it. And they thought that the woman, they didn't like the woman's voice is what happened. So I called, you know, I called them back and I said, listen, I played this ad for three African-American women who live in the place where we are. And there are, there are target demographic. They don't like the ad. Here's what they've said, their feedback. I kind of think we probably should take another look, take another stab at it. And I get this huge pushback about why that was inappropriate and you know they did the research on this and this is what it says and this ad ought to go out and we don't have time for this blah 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 and i said okay i just want to make sure that we're what i understand is you're telling me an ad that you thought of you wrote and it does not play well with three people in the demographic as the ad we should put up that targets that demographic i want to be sure that i got these details right when i go talk to the candidates <laughs> about this <laughs> right and so then and so then they decided okay well we'll go back and we'll recut the ad they did it and women liked it and it went up but there was a right. sort of arrogance about it that they had you know they had come up this this white guy had come up with an ad he thought would be good to talk to african-american women in the south um that he, that, that he would know better than three african-american women in the south Right, that that was a good ad. <laughs> so I right. can't believe I'm having an argument with you about this. Why are we even fighting right. about this? You should be happy that we did this before we spent ten thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, putting that on radio. You should be happy right. that we caught it before it went up. Like, why are we fighting? Um, um, so you know, it happens. This is the world that we, <laughs> the world we live in. Right, right. Um, well, listen, Jamal, I got to let you go. Um, I'm glad we were able to have this conversation. We've got to, I got to have you back to um, in the next couple of weeks so we can do more of a deeper dive on what's going on on the presidential race. But just in, in, you know, very quickly, what, what's your sense of where the race is right now? And, 
um, how uh, how is what is going on, whether it's the coronavirus or um, these uh, uh, um, uh, events across the country, the protests, racial injustice, how is that impacting the race, if, if it is? You know, so I, 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 I very quickly, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's the most tense time I've ever seen. I think any of us has ever seen the country hasn't been through anything like this in a hundred years. Um, I think that uh, it is a time, though, that Joe Biden, as a Democratic nominee, has really particular strengths because the one thing you know about him, if you know anything about him, is that he's been through some of the toughest things anybody can ever go through in life. You know, I'm a father of two. Um, I can't imagine losing my wife and a child, right? Like right now, uh, and then having to go and then go go back and raise the other child, <laughs> right? The other children on my own. Um, having gone through that gives him a little bit of um, a coding um, in the political process, but it also gives him like a depth that most politicians don't have. So you understand he's he's an empathetic man, and I also think he has the ability to. Um, help people understand how to get up from struggle and pain and keep moving forward. And I think that we as a nation are going through an incredibly painful um, period and we're going to have to be able to get up and fight through that pain and go forward. Um, what I would like to see from him is what I've kind of, is the thing about him that I always have wanted to see a little more outreach to young people, um, a little more forward leaning on policy ideas about how to, how not, not just to go back to the pre-Trump, world but how do we go forward to a world we fix some of the problems that we've had i think he's getting there rhetorically um and like let's see where it goes but i think they understand that and if they can get that done i think that he probably has a really good chance at at uh at being the next president of the united states obviously he's got a vp choice to make um a lot of people are very focused on that um that's going to matter but i think people are really invested in him uh ultimately being president is about the person whose name's on the ballot and um he could he could be exactly the person the country needs, not just the best person for the election, but the person the country needs, because it's not just about the policies we face, but it is about the sort of psychic pain that we are clearly going through right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he has, you know, he has a human touch that many politicians don't have, um, you know, a, a level of empathy uh, and you know, in a time in which so many people are hurting, whether that's because they lost their jobs or lost a loved one to coronavirus or are just hurting because of what they're seeing in this country, he has an ability to connect um, to people based off of his life experience of enduring pain. I mean, um, yeah. pain that um, I can only imagine uh, and, um, and pulling yourself up every day, every morning dusting yourself off and pushing forward. And, um, and, and I think, you know, so long as he can, you know, keep that connection and talk about it and be, and, and really put it out there. I think it's a strength of his and he's done a good job of that. I thought he talked, talked, you know, good about, uh, you know, I do think he gave a really good uh, speech this week on, um, you know, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia on racial injustice. Um, and his speech, uh, and I, speech I, on the virus also I thought was very, very yeah. impactful. I mean, I mean listen, I, I, who am I to say this? But for me, the line that he had where he said, there will come a day where you think of your loved one and you smile before you have a tear in your eye. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's still even saying it out loud, like it hits deep. And I think, um, 
I think, again, he understands in a way that most politicians don't get it. And if they do, they're unwilling to tap into it and to share. And I think that's there's a, there's a moment of authenticity in this era. People want from politicians. They want a really authentic part of you. And uh, he's willing to show that part of himself. I think that matters. I agree. I agree. Jamal Simmons, thanks, buddy. I appreciate okay, you buddy. coming on, brother. Thanks for having um, me. On. Yep, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again in uh, in the next couple of weeks. And let me know. Uh, we oh, we didn't get your VP guest. Who do you think it is? Who's uh, uh, who's not, who's your right today as of today? Who would you bet your money on? Uh, you know who did herself a good favor this week is Kamala Harris. She went down to the White House and was part of the protests and. You know, she just kind of put on a baseball cap and some sunglasses. And I think most people didn't know she was there, but it was on Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, I think that she probably is still in the top two. Uh, you know, my top three hasn't changed. It's Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan. It's Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. And it's Kamala Harris from California. Uh, I think Klobuchar did not have a good week when people found out she did not prosecute the cop um, who has uh, been, been charged with this murder in, in Minneapolis. Um, but I think I think uh, I think Kamala Harris and Warren are probably the two that are they're still deciding between. But you know, for all we know, it'll be Tammy Duckworth. <laughs> 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 Somebody that nobody's talking about at all, but has a real, right. a, a real, a real powerful story to tell, and decides that you know that's the way he wants to go. We just don't know. Right, right. All right, Jamal. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. You be safe out there. All right. There, all right? You. Take care. You too. All right, take care. Folks, thanks so much for joining the Electables today. Please stay safe and healthy and watch out for one another. <laughs>